0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is taken from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening session of Sunday, the 15th of February, 2009, entitled, Making the Rest of Your Life the Best of Your Life. The Bible reading is taken from Philippians, chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Tonight I want to be as concise as I can be and kind of just kind of um, piggyback on what I started this morning. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3, I want you to look at verse 13. Verses 13 and 14, a very familiar passage uh, of Scripture. Of course, the book of Philippians is probably one of my favorite books of the New Testament. Of course, the Apostle Paul's the author and uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and one of the most power action packed books that you'll ever find. Of course, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. He's writing back to the church at Philippi. Of course, we know that the theme of the book is joy. And, uh, you know, folks, that ought to be the flag that flies over our heart. Uh, just like when the Queen of England, I gave an illustration last night in the nursing home. When the Queen of England is at Buckingham Palace, they fly the flag over Buckingham Palace. Well, joy ought to be the flag over our life when Jesus is in, in residence. And so what we need to do is we need to realize how much we have to be thankful for. But I don't want to preach about joy, and I don't want to preach about this, this title Making the rest of your life the best of your life. Making the rest of your life the best of your life. Look at our text. Uh, Philippians chapter number 3 and look at verse number 13. It says, brethren, I like that word. Don't you? I like the brethren. I like to be around God's people. Man, it, nothing nothing thrills me more to get around God's people and just start bragging on Jesus and thinking about what he's done in our lives. And I'm so thankful. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you tonight, I'm thanked, I'm so thankful. And Paul made this mention in about almost half of his uh, epistles, that he wrote to the church, he almost started every one of them, Romani, this way. He said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for Jesus Christ tonight. Amen. But I'm also thankful for the breath. I'm thankful that we've got a, a common bond, that most of us in here come from all different types of backgrounds, all sorts of different uh, nationalities and e- ethnic groups. But thank God there ain't but one race, and that's the human race. Amen. Red, yet red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in His sight. God, God loves the little children of the world. Paul says, brethren, now he's speaking specifically to the people that are redeemed in this church. And listen, not all the Bible was written to us, but thank God all of it is for us. And Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Now, that's an intriguing statement when you think about who Paul was. Paul was a man who was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a zealous man, a fervent man when he persecuted the church. He was a, listen, he was a Jew. He was a Roman citizen. But yet he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And you know what? That's all I am tonight. And folks, Paul said, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm not some big shot, he said, Brother Brian, that I have arrived. He said, but this one thing I do. Listen to it. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. How many of you in here, I got it, how many of you in here want to make the rest of your life the best of your life? You can start tonight doing that. Now before I preach, let's go to the throne of grace and ask His blessing upon it. Lord Jesus, I thank you tonight for your goodness. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, that you would do a work tonight that we'd have to stand back in utter amazement and say, Lord, to God, be the glory great things you've done. Lord, speak to hearts, I pray, and move us out of a place of complacency and on to a higher calling, and that is for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And Lord, help us to make the rest of our life tonight the best of our life. And we'll love you and praise you for what you do in our lives because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, folks, you've got to realize something. Paul was a man who said, brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. Now listen, folks, he was, listen, he was encouraged and thankful and excited about his position in Christ, but he wasn't that excited about his progression for Christ and with Christ. Folks, he was, listen, he was sanctified, but he wasn't satisfied. He was He said, I'm appreciative and I'm thrilled about my status, but not about my service. And let me tell you something, folks. If Paul could say, I don't count myself to have apprehended and God wasn't done with him, thank God I know he ain't done with me. Here's a man who wrote half the New Testament, but yet he said, brethren, I'm not some big shot. Now, folks, he's writing this from a jail cell. Now, I want you to think about this book with me. Turn back to chapter number 1 and look at verse 6. I want to show you something very quickly. There is something about the mind... We have to make a conscious decision about how we think and who we are in Jesus Christ. There are two powerful words in the Christian life, and it's these words, in you. Do you realize that the same spirit, the same spirit, Chris, that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you as a believer? That ought to make you shout just on general principle. That ought to make you just go, hallelujah. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in me. And folks, I'm here to tell you, you've got to change your thinking around. Some of you get down in the dumps because you think, "Well, it's me, I don't have this, I don't have these gifts. Well, get your thumb out of your mouth, stand up, square your shoulders and say, Jesus, I want to serve you. You're welcome. Some of you going to hear me say it a lot this week. Some of you don't like you, you like you like that a whole lot. You know what? Here's my point tonight. We've got to get our thinking in line with the way Jesus thinks. That's why Paul said in this this book, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. You've got to, listen, you've got to change your thinking around. I call it stinking thinking, all right? Some of us got too much stinking thinking, all right? Our thinking stinks, and we've got to change that. I want you to, look, look at what Paul says in chapter number one. He says you've got to have confident thinking. Look at verse number six, chapter number one, verse six. He says being confident of this very thing. Now I want you to listen to me. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun, brother Peter, a work in you shall perform it and will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, ladies and gentlemen, I know that God has not done with me and he's not done with you because he said the work I started in you, he said it's my job to finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. So folks, we got to change our thinking around. we got to have confident thinking. But look at chapter number 2, verse 1. <clears throat> Chapter number 2 verse number 1. Excuse me, I got a frog in my throat and he's got his legs crossed. Excuse me. Chapter number 2, look at verse number 1. Now I got to move fast tonight cuz we ain't got a lot of time. We got we got tea and biscuits back there. <clears throat> Ready. It says if if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any fellowship of love, of any, of, excuse me, if any fellowship uh, of comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. He said, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded. Here's that talking about the mind, the thinking again. Let you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. By the way, this Christian life ain't about you. Did you hear me? I want all of you looking to white. I want to look in the white so you're you looking the red to mine. Okay? I ain't had a whole lot of sleep. This life that you live for Jesus Christ ain't about you. It says, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man. Look at the next verse. Look not every man on his own things, Brother Neil, but everything, every man also on the things of others. And then he goes into that great dissertation, that great passage where he says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. He was the very essence of God. Who being in the form of God, Jesus didn't think it robber to be equal with God. He didn't think his equality with God something to grasp a hold of and hold on to. No, he laid it aside, came to earth, and made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, it says that our God humbled himself. Now you know what one of the key ingredients to failing in the Christian life is a five-letter word called P-R-I-D-E. If Jesus Christ humbled, it literally means this, Brother Brian, He humiliated Himself to come to earth and put on a robe of flesh. The God of creation humbled Himself and came to earth so He'd know what we went through. Then I like this passage at the latter part of it. It says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted Him. You know, He humbled Himself. He hung on a cross. And listen, He even endured the cross. He went to that cross for us. He didn't swoon. He didn't pass out. He physically died, was put in the grave, rose again the third day, and he sits at the right hand of God to make intercession for you. God's praying for you tonight. Hello? But I'm glad that that one that sat at the right hand of God, he said, wherefore, he said, you know what? He said this. I want you to look at verse number 8. Look at verse number 9. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, you know what, you mention God and you're probably not going to get a lot of knee-jerk reaction because there's a lot of people in the world that believe in God, but when you start bringing up Jesus' name, it's going to turn some heads. You can go into a store store and start singing in line, Jesus loves me, this I know. People start looking at you like you're crazy, like you've been, yeah, like you've been doing something wrong. Like you might have been nipping at the bottle a little bit. What's wrong with this guy? Oh, you're just praising the Lord. But you know what I found out, folks? You can be a Buddhist and never have met Buddha. You can be a Muslim and never met Muhammad. But I'm here to tell you, you can never be a Christian and not never met Jesus. You've got to meet the Savior. You've got to have the mind of Christ. And here's the whole point of my topic and why I'm getting to this passage we're in. You've got to have confident thinking, but you've got to have conforming thinking. You've got to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If Jesus humbled himself, it's our job and duty as a Christian to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt us in due time. He's given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Of things in heaven, of things in the earth, of things under the earth. And every tongue shall bow confess that Jesus, I don't care who it is, I don't care what friend you've got, what lovely family, family member you have, that will kick against it and say, I do not want to trust this Jesus, I don't want to have nothing to do with Him. One of these days, every knee is going to bow and say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said, so you better bow now, but if you don't, you'll bow later. If you don't bow now, you will bow later and say, Jesus is Lord. So, folks, you've got to have confident thinking. You've got to have conforming thinking. You've got to ask God to change your mind. That's what the word repentance is. And listen, it means to rethink. You've got to rethink some things in your life. But let's look at chapter number 3 again. Let's look at our text. The reason why I want to preach this message tonight is because I know how long I struggled with some of the things I'm going to talk to you about tonight. See, I don't preach nothing but what God already already preached to me. And I'm here to tell you that we've got to have confident thinking. Being confident in this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you, sister, will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you, you've got to have conforming thinking, Ramani. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. But then he says, you need to have some committed thinking. There's some things you need to commit to the Lordship of Christ. And say, Jesus, I can't do this, but you can. The first thing you need to do if you're going to have the rest of your life be the best of your life, the first thing you need to do is found in this passage. You need to cancel all the past. Now, listen, before you misquote me and say you're a heretic, I'm not saying you can forgive your own sins. How many people have you ever heard say this? Well, I just can't forgive myself. I've had people sit across from a desk from me and look at me, and they'll say this, I just can't forgive myself. Well, you know what? You can't. That's why Jesus did it. That's the problem with most of these psychiatrists and these psychoanalysts that get behind a desk and they've got all these des- all these degrees, but they're the one that need the counseling. They in there telling people, "Well, I'll tell you, you just got to forgive yourself, think more about yourself, and have more of a self." Ugh. Do you know what I am at my very best? The best five minutes I've ever spent on this earth. I am a wicked, vile sinner, but I'm not going to live there. I'm not gonna live defeated. You know what? Somebody else told me one time, they said, Brother Neil, I just can't get past it. The devil comes and always. And here's the problem: the devil knows where the pause button is in your life. He'll push the pause button, and all you can do is when you're in that state of position in that pause, all you can think about is what you've done in the past. But do you know what God wants to do? God wants to hit the play button and say, Go on for the glory of God. Do something for me instead of living in the past. Andrew, I get so many people, and I used to do it myself. Oh, I tell you what, the devil brings up my past. You know what you ought to do when the devil brings up your past? You go and say, devil, let me remind you of your future. You are going to be bound and cast into an eternal bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then after that, that's just temporary. You're going to be cast forever in the lake of fire. Hello. God bless you. That's what you ought to say to him. Back at you, buddy. Now, I'm not telling you to pick a fight with the devil because I'm going to tell you who's going to win. He knows that chick in your armor. He knows that weakness in your life that nobody else knows, but he does because he's your enemy. God's not your enemy. He loves you. He loves you. So, folks, you've got to cancel your past. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Folks, we know that God's sovereign. He can't forget nothing. God does not have amnesia, by the way. God hadn't forgot anything. So God knows us but yet, you know what he does when he looks at me? He says, Brian, I don't see you in you sin. He says, I see you in my son. Hallelujah, I like it. Son, I'm going to get excited here in a minute. Y'all think I just got excited. I'm here to tell you that God looks at me and he says, I don't see you sin, Andy. I see you in my son. And that's the way he sees you. Listen, folks, you're somebody in Jesus Christ. God did not save you for you to sit on the bench or be on the sideline. He saved you to get in the game and do something. Now folks, I know how hard it is. We get hurt. Get our feelings hurt. Somebody says something and it may rub us the wrong way. Listen to me. Do you understand what Jesus went through? When you Listen, when you go through those testings, when you go through those tough times, remember what Jesus did for you. And he hung on a cross. He took a scourging with a cat of nine tails that they say was unlimited. There wasn't 39 stripes. It was unlimited. It was under Roman dictatorship and under Roman law. And they were unlimited in their beating of Jesus Christ. His back looked like hamburger meat. He was, listen, his visage, his facial features were so marred that he didn't even was recognizable as a man. But the Lamb of God Went to the cross, and as a lamb for shears his dummy, opened not his mouth. He laid his life down willingly for you and for me. So folks, we've got to have some committed thinking. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to, com- you've got to cancel all your past. You can't forgive yourself. It's the truth. But Jesus did. And all you've got to do is, listen, live in the finished work of Calvary. And so Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. You've got to have all your past guilt canceled. All the past guilt. But not only that, but you've got to have all your past grudges canceled. Now, I'm getting ready to meddle right now. All right? So just hold on. Most of you in this room, you know what? You've been hurt before. And you know what? you got past grudges. There's some bitterness you're holding on to. And you know what? You need to cancel all your past guilt. But not only that, but all your past grudges. All of your past grudges. You think about a man by the name of Joseph. Listen to me. Joseph's brothers hated his guts. Joseph was thrown into a pit, left for dead. They found him, sold him, went into Egypt. He was put in bondage, was made one of the biggest guys on the campus, if you will. And then his uh, his leader, his potiphar, his wife, uh, accused him of something he never did. He was put in jail for 11 years, unjustly, by the way. He could have gotten angry, but let me tell you something, folks. Through all of that, God was, listen, God was molding a man and making a man out of somebody that could be a great leader. And he went from the prison to prime minister in one day. And do you know what? When he got married, he had children. You know what the first child he had, the first son he had? You know what his name was? Manasseh. You know what Manasseh means, Chris? It means to forget. Hallelujah. Do you know what he had a second son? His name was Ephraim. You know what Ephraim means, pastor? It means fruitful. And I'm here to tell you, look me right in the whites of my eyes. You'll never be fruitful until you become forgetful. Some of you in here are holding on to things you will not forget. And you know what? There was a woman named Leslie Campolo, uh, Brother Peter. She had every right to be bitter and angry and hold a grudge. She was literally left for dead on the streets of Manhattan, New York, uh, United States of America. She was raped. They took her purse. They left her for dead. The three men that left her thought she would never live. Guess what she did? After about three months of uh, recuperating and, and getting back to normal and rehabilitation... She went before a deposition and they had these men to line up and she picked every one of those young men that raped her out. They came forward, went into a court of law. Brother Carl, when they were in that court of law, she stood up and said, those are the three men that abducted me. They raped me. I cannot in a crowd in a court of law tell you exactly what they did to me, but they left me for dead. But she said, I want everybody in this courtroom to know. and She said, especially you three young men. She said, I want you to know I forgive you. Man, they got done with that thing. They got outside and they said, Miss Campolo, how in the world can you forgive those three young men? There's no way you could ever forget what they did to you. And you know what she said? She said, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and there's nowhere in my Bible that says that you have to forget something to forgive somebody. Hello? Hello? You know what? There's going to be times in your life where you won't forget things. You know what that doesn't give you the right to hold on to grudges and bitterness. You know what Robert E Lee, one of the great uh, leaders of our country back in the Civil War time. Robert E Lee heard that his sister was angry. Went to his sister's house, got on his horse, rode to the house. Wish we lived in today of horses, man. You all the transits. Can you believe I was in I was in North Carolina Thursday, uh, Friday, last Friday in New York Saturday was in Manhattan Sunday, in London Tuesday, and Birmingham on Tuesday night. Fifty years ago, you'd have never heard of that. It's a day and age of technology and transportation. But listen, Robert E. Lee got on his horse. He found out his sister was angry went over to see her. He said, what in the world's wrong with you? Why are you so angry? She said, do you look out at... Look at that tree in my backyard. It's never grown properly, and I found out why. She said there's a story that was told about when the Revolutionary War was taking place in our country that there was some, and I don't mean to be unkind, but there was some British soldiers that shot that tree up and left it all contorted, and, and it was all messed up. And she said, I'm so bitter about it. What do I need to do? Robert E. got on his horse, and he turned around, and he looked at her, and he said, Chop it down and let it go. Now look, look at me. There's some of you in here, I might be talking to one person. If I am, that's why I came this week. you holding on to something. And you know what God says? Chop it down. And let it go. Cancel your past guilt. Cancel all the past grudges you've got. But thirdly, I want you to look at this. Look back at chapter number 3 and look at verse number 4. You've got to cancel all your past glory. Not only your guilt and your grudges, but you've got to cancel all your past glory. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Hey, Paul was a prominent man. Look at verse number 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, Paul said, I'm more. He said, man, I had every right to be boastful. Why? I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, my money. Tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, as touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And I want you to look at what Paul said. But what things were gained to me... Those I counted lost for, for Christ. Now here's what I'm saying. Paul was a guy, man. You know what? It's not good sometimes to look back. You know Jesus said that in Luke chapter nine verse sixty-two. No man having what? Panos putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know what? You don't look back. Some of you are looking back too long. You're looking at your past victories that happened forty-seven years ago. Is not the God of forty-seven years ago the God of the present? Has He not done anything right now? Absolutely, folks. We've got to get past our. We got to cancel all our past glory. That's what Paul did. Paul said, "I am, am what I am by the grace of God." Heard a story about you know looking back, and little boy went to Sunday school and heard a story about Lot. And uh, in that story, of course, Lot, his wife, they got out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but his wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. little boy raised his hand he said, that ain't nothing. He said, my mama was driving down the road yesterday and she looked back and hit a light pole. Amen. Turned into a light pole. Amen. Now listen, folks, the reason I'm saying that is you can't look back, you've got to look forward. You can't live in the past. You've got to live in the present. But not only do you cancel all your past, but I want you to look at the second thing. Look at, t- turn, turn back to chapter number 3 and verse 13. Brethren, look at this. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Now let your eyes fall to verse 14, and I want to read the first part of that. It says, I press toward the, what's the next word? Mark. Now, I may not pronounce this correctly. Can, uh, can can, he can correct me after the service. But the Greek word for mark is the Greek, Greek word eskapos, or scopos. We can arrange this word scope from it. It literally, you know what, when you're looking at a, at a target, if you're you know hunting something with a rifle, you have a scope on it. And it gives you singleness of focus. You can focus right in on what you want to do. Here's what I'm saying, folks. If we're going to make the rest of our life the best of our life, number one, we've got to pa- cancel all the past and ask Jesus to help us do that. But the second thing is we need to concentrate on one purpose. Concentrate on one purpose purpose. And you know what I think the purpose was in Paul's life? It's found in verse 10. Look up at verse 10. It says that I may, what? Know him. Most of you know this, the Greek word gnosko. It means to know by experience. And that's what we've got to do, folks. Hey, listen, folks. We have got to concentrate on one purpose. I was preaching a meeting in November. Right after you left, Andrew, I went back to Statesville and I preached a Thanksgiving service and a banquet. On Saturday night, the pastor, who was an aging man himself, he's about pastor's age. No, I'm just playing pastor. No, he's about 70 years of age. I'll tell you what, me and Pastor Larry ain't getting any younger. My hair ain't turning gray, it's turning loose. And I'm telling you, it's getting rough. But uh, we were preaching in that meeting and the pastor asked this gentleman to stand up and come to the front and close in prayer. Right, I couldn't believe it. This man stood up, and it was obvious that he was not young, but he didn't look what they said he was. He was 99 years of age. He came to the front of the podium, and he got down on his knees and began to pray. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. We just wasn't praying. We entered heaven. That man prayed heaven down in that room that night. And let me tell you what he prayed. He was up there going, oh God, I just got done preaching, you know. I just poured my heart out to people thought, wow, you know, this is, this is great, man. People would raise their hand, making decisions. And then this guy gets up, and I'm going to tell you what, I felt like an ant. Because he got down on his knees as a 99-year-old man, and he said, oh God. He said, please forgive me. He said, oh God, I want to know you better. This is a man that's been saved 70 years. And he said, oh God, conform me to the image of your precious Son. And I said, Lord, help me. If a 99 year old man that's been saved 70 years wants to be more like his Savior, I ought to want to be too. And you know what I think, Brother Peter? We got to get to the point where we concentrate on one purpose. Paul said this one thing I do, he didn't say these 10 things to dabble at. He said there's one thing in my life and one thing only that I do, and that is to concentrate, to focus, to scope us, to focus on the one area that I'm supposed to. You know what it is? That I may know Him. Look at how we ought to know Him. We ought to know Him by the power of His resurrection. You know what, folks? I think a lot of us in here know the fact of the resurrection. We don't know the force of the resurrection. We know the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, but we don't apply the force of it to our lives. There's no weapon formed against us that shall prosper. Now I'm here to tell you, because Jesus lives, He said to each and every individual in this room, you shall live also. Hallelujah to the Lamb. But folks, we've got to, listen, we've got to concentrate on the power of His resurrection, but then look at what it says in verse 10. And the fellowship of His what? The fellowship of his sufferings, pathos. Literally, wants, he, he wants us, Panos, to be a partner in his pathos, in his sufferings. I've got a dear friend. His name's Jess Long. Jess is about 28 years of age. And I hope I get through this. I talked to Jess. He lives in Wilmington. And Jess uh, surrendered to ministry when he was 12 years old. And he was in Bible college with me. Young man, found him a precious wife. They're married now, got children, and I'm just thankful for him. But about eight years ago, Brother Brian, he came, up to, he came up to me and said, I want you to pray for me. He said, I'm starting to feel aches and pains in my left side. And he said, I, I just can't sleep. He said, I can't, I can't never get any rest. And went to the doctor, and Malcolm, after a series of tests, they ran on him. They found out he had multiple sclerosis. In the last eight years, every time I see Jess, it's almost like he's—it's almost like, man, the guy's in touch with Christ. You ever—you ever been around somebody and you go, "How in the world?" They just seem like they know everything about everything, and God was just illuminating things to him, and he was just so powerful in his testimony. And I said, "Jess, what? Man, you are a different man. What? What? For eight years ago, but you—you're debilitating in your physical health." but you're a better man today than you were eight years ago. I said, man, what is the difference? He said, Brian, he said, God gave me MS. And he said, my disease drove me to Jesus. My disease drove me to Christ. Oh, we sit around and we say, oh, Lord. one 800 why?" you know. Wah, wah. And we get all tore up about little issues that were going on in our life. Here's a man who may not live to ever see his children graduate high school. But yet he says, you know what? My relationship and my love for Jesus Christ is greater today than, than it was eight years ago when God gave me a multiple sclerosis for a reason. It drove me to my Savior. Folks, God wants us to know by experience, Gnosco wants to have us to know the power of His resurrection. But we can't know the power of His resurrection without the fellowship of His sufferings, the pathos. That, that, in, that, that affliction sometimes God puts on us. But folks, I want you to see something else. I want you to look down at the latter part of verse number 14. See, to know God by experience is something more than just knowing Him by proximity. To know Him by experience, Peter, that means you've got to go through some things. Let me give you a good definition of experience. Ladies washing dishes one night. And Miss Janie will get a kick out of this. She's always down. It, it seems like every time I see her when we're at the house, she's either washing dishes or washing clothes, you know. But she's downstairs washing dishes. The lady hears her children upstairs fighting, and one of them screaming, she goes upstairs and a little four-year-old girl, her daughter, has a hold of the eight-year-old brother's hair and is pulling it to beat the band. Just pulling it out. And he's screaming, and she gets him off of she gets him off of him and she says, Honey, you can't do that. And she says, darling, she looks at the boy and says, she just don't know what she's doing, it's okay, just please. She don't know what she's doing. So she leaves him alone, she walks downstairs, about five seconds goes by, and she hears a blood-curdling scream. She runs upstairs, and the eight-year-old boy's got the four-year-old daughter's hair, and she he's pulling it, and he says, uh, she knows now, Mama, what it is. Now that's experience, okay? She knows what she's doing, she knows what I'm doing now. Folks, that's... We've got to experience Christ on a first-hand basis. You ain't going to get to heaven, by the way. You ain't going to get to heaven on your mama's testimony. You're not going to get to heaven because your church membership or what your mom or daddy did for Jesus years ago. You're going to have to make it a personal relationship between you and Him. And you've got to cancel the past. You've got to concentrate on one purpose. But thirdly, and I'm done, you've got to do this. You've got to compete for the prize. Look at verse number 14, and I'm done. You've got to compete for the prize. Look at verse fourteen. It says, "I press." Agonoid say, "I I'm literally striving. I'm I'm gutting it out for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." You got to compete for the prize. I'll finish with this. Some of you in here may have may remember him. Pastor Philip Voss came here with Eddie Say Paul years ago with a a graduating class from Tabernacle Christian School. He's a dear friend to Pastor Larry and myself, and he's not here anymore. He's been graduated. He's been promoted. He's in heaven today. But you know, I'll never forget, you know, Pastor Voss, in the last years of his life, he, was, he had uh, three hematomas on his brain. They gave him probably about four months to live, and that was three years ago. Pastor Voss got everything in line. He had a successor. He he had all this stuff. He resigned his church. He said, I want somebody to come in, take over the ministry. I don't want to be a stumbling block. I want it to keep going for Jesus Christ. I don't want the people to focus on me. I want them to focus on my Savior. But Pastor Voss was a man who had every right, every right, to say, I'm going to back off a little bit. I don't feel good. I watched Pastor Voss Brother Larry, when we were back in Hickory going to church there, and we were living in your house, I was going to Tabernacle, and I remember Pastor Voss was so sick he couldn't even stand up, but he would be up there preaching, had a chair sitting right beside the pulpit. Now I'm gonna tell you something, folks. He had every right to say, "I, I don't need to run the race anymore. I'm getting, I'm just gonna take me a lazy boy out, and I'm gonna kick back and just take a little vacation." But no, he kept competing for the prize, brother. Peter, I remember the last time I saw him was back in August the year before he died. Five months before he died, I went to see him. We were busy that fall and preaching meetings and pastoring the church, and I just didn't have time. But I knew that if I didn't go see him in August, it'd probably be the last time I see him. But I went up there and I'll never forget. He had one of those seats that you sit on when you can't get to the bathroom. It's they call it the humble seat, okay? <laughs> he said, Brian, have a come into my office. Now, he's laying in the bed. He said, come in the office. And he said, sit down in my chair. And I sat down on the pot, okay? And I'm, I'm sitting there talking to him. It's an awful humbling thing to sit there on a, a toilet talking to a man about Jesus, you know. And uh, Yeah, I felt the same way you just felt. And uh, we're sitting there talking and he said, Brian, I don't think God's done with me yet. He said, I so want my nurse to come to Christ. He said, I've been witnessing to my nurse for almost three weeks now. And he said, I think she's close. What I didn't know was maybe about four months later, in January, he led that nurse to Christ right there in his hospital bed. Three weeks after that, he was in heaven. But I'll never forget Carl, the last story. He was a big storyteller. One of the shortest stories he ever told me was this one. I'm getting ready to tell you, but it was one of the most profound. I'll never, it'll never leave my mind. He said, Brian, he said, have you ever heard about the mountain climber? The mountain climber that died? I said, no, what about him? He said he died climbing. That's all he said. He died climbing. Do you know what Paul said at the last of his life? He said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished a course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown, brother Peter, of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. I wonder if you're going to die climbing. Just keep on going up. And you know what? It might just be that if you keep on going up and you keep on trying to know him like he wants you to know him and you say, Lord, I want what's important to you to be important to me and if you just live for him, it just may be that one one day as you're climbing, (laughs) you might not even have to die. Just step right off the mountain, right into the realms of glory and spend eternity with Jesus Christ. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. When the host of hell assail, and my strength begins to fail, thou who never lost a battle, stand by me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to ask you a question tonight. Nobody looking around, please. Do you want the rest of your life to be the best of your life? Then I'll tell you, there's some people in here, you know what you need to do? You need to cancel all your past. That means the past guilt that you have. Listen, Jesus died not only for a couple of your sins, He died for all of them. That leave, means they leave none of them. You need to cancel past guilt. You need to cancel past grudges. You need to cancel past glory. I am what I am, Paul said, by the grace of God. Some of you in here, you know what you need to do? You need to concentrate on one purpose. You're so preoccupied, you don't know what God wants you to do. There's some of you in here, you know what? You've almost dropped out of the race. And you need to know, you you know what you need to do? You need to compete for the prize Just like that mountain climber that died He died climbing Don't ever give up Ladies and gentlemen, don't give up There's a prize waiting for you And it might not be what you think But when you get there and see the arms of your Savior wide open And you run toward Him as He says Welcome, enter into the joy of the Lord You, I'm going to tell you, you'll sing It was worth it all I'm going to ask you to stand with your heads bowed. If you can stand, ask you to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed right now. Standing with heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around, please. Brother Larry's is going to come and lead us in an invitation hymn. But first of all, I want you to do this. I wonder if you'd say, you know what, Brother Brian, preacher, I want you to pray for me. God spoke to my heart tonight in a concise, specific area. And I'd just like for you to lift me up right now. Just say, preacher, pray for me. If you'll just put it up and then put it back down. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Hands all you. Thank you. Hey, listen, folks, I'd love more than anything for you to go home tonight, pillow your head, and not have a thing that would make you have unrest. But more importantly, God wants you to be that way. Maybe you need to cancel the past tonight. Maybe you need to concentrate on the one purpose, but maybe you need to compete for the prize. I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus is standing, just as he does in those storms. He's standing with arms wide open, and say, Stand by me. Stand by me. Oh, our prayers for him to stand by us, but he wants us to stand by him. Father, in Jesus' name, I love you tonight. I pray that you'd bless this invitation time in Jesus' name.